0: When you think of the Falklands, chances are the first thing you think of is war. They took off from airfields in southern Argentina, equipped with Exocet missiles. Both ships were hit. Sir Galahad was immediately in flames. Maybe Margaret Thatcher.
1: Come to talk to the people here, to pay tribute to those who liberated the islands.
0: Maybe the British Empire. Maybe Gibraltar comes to mind. Maybe you remember watching the conflict unfold on your television screen, seeing British forces fight to defend a small, rugged landscape 8,000 miles away. But there's a lot more to the Falkland Islands than 74 days of conflict 40 years ago. The story of the islands, and of the islands themselves, is rich, unique, and sometimes strange. The conflict, while a small part of the island's history, marks a turning point for the Falklands, a point that creates a duality, a before and after, a rural, difficult life transforming into one of relative prosperity for its inhabitants. Since then, the way of life for Falkland Islanders has forever changed. You're listening to The Falkland's Way of Life, a short podcast series produced by Falkland Islands Television. I'm your host, Charles Kershaw, and in this short series I explore the lives of inhabitants living in the remote British Overseas Territory and how life has changed over the past 200 years. This is The Falkland's Way of Life. The Falklands, they got their own personality, if you
2: like. I have good memories of that time. Our standards of living were lower then, but I think generally people probably um, appreciated what they had.
1: We're going to have to accept the fact there's going to be a new Falklands. We cannot stay an anachronism, and we're achieving that now.
3: All the change, pretty much, has been for the better in my, my eyes.
0: Between the late 1900s and 1960s, life in the Falklands hadn't changed all that much. It had experienced some slow technological progress, but it stayed behind the times, with relatively limited connection between its small settlements and with the outside world. The simple rural life of the Falklands had remained largely the same. But many who lived that lifestyle look back on it fondly.
2: I many? I have good memories of that time. I was very young then, but... What's an interesting thing co- to compare now is that our standards of living were lower then, but I think generally people probably um, appreciated what they had a bit more in those times. And, and all, all the memories, or most of the memories I have, are all good memories of growing up then. You know, we had a, quite a carefree sort of lifestyle. And, I mean, we weren't paid a lot, but, you know, as I say, people were happy with what they had at the time. My name is Tony Smith. I was born and have been living in the Falklands for 60
0: years. So you grew up in, in the Falklands. Um, did you grow up on West Falkland?
2: I did, yes, that's right. Yeah, I, I lived on West Falkland up until 1988. We lived on a few farms when I was still going to school. When I finished school, I had a cousin living at Port Stephens, right in the south. I think he invited me to, to go there for a bit of a holiday after I finished school and they offered me a job there and just driving tractors and so on which you know as a 16 year old that was all good fun. An opportunity arose for um, to to train a mechanic there and uh, I was approached by the farm manager and, and and I was offered that position you know to do an apprenticeship to become the farm mechanic and electrician which was quite a responsible job you know having to maintain all the machinery on the farm, basically. That was one of the big original farms, so it was, uh, when I say big, 250,000 acres. Um, We had about 50,000 sheep, and in total the community was around between 40 and 50 people.
0: Farms before the war were much larger than they are today, run by a handful of absentee landlords based in the UK. Hours on the farm were long, and farming, as it had been in the previous century, continued to be tough and physically demanding work. Every farm was run by a farm manager who exercised a lot of authority in how settlements were run as a whole. The lack of roads kept people within their isolated communities. So you spent most of that time like on the west and you go over to the East Falklands much at all or go, to, go into Stanley or we, like that. we
2: didn't actually in those days. I mean, it, was, it wasn't exactly cheap to get to Stanley. We, the only easy way to get in was with the fire gas, the Falklands Government Air Service. Um, but yeah as as you know, like I was saying, back in those days, we weren't paid so much, so generally, a lot of people might come to Stanley once a year. you know it' be quite a a big event when you came to Stanley, you know, the only town It just seemed like quite a big place you know, compared to these farms and and just seeing so many more people and, and the activity in, in, in a one and only town.
0: <laughs> I would say, it, you know, it probably felt like a city, but I mean, suppose yeah, it is a city really. now. So, mm. yeah,
2: yeah, no, it did back then. You know, it, it, yeah, it seemed like a big, bustling sort of place. You know?
0: <laughs> one of the largest farms in the islands before the war was Fox Bay Farm on West Falkland, owned by absentee landlords the Pack Brothers. Richard Cockwell came from the UK to work for them in the mid-60s before becoming their farm manager. There's your son, is that That's Sam
1: and then? Sam, Adam and Ben. And Ben is still at Fox Bay, isn't Ben's he? Ben's at Fox Bay. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, were, they were all um, brought up in Fox Bay, wild as hawks, still are. <laughs> I got a job working as a shepherd up on Salisbury Plain until I could get a passage on the ship to Australia. I was 17 when I signed up, so it only cost me five pounds. I worked in Australia on sheep farms and such like in the bush. Really enjoyed it. loved it. Great place. Great work. Everything was great, except the heat. I couldn't cope with the heat. And so I finished up coming down by sea to Fox Bay in the Falcons. It was a 150,000 acre sheep farm in those days. And I took over as manager in 1968, I think it was. What was
0: the um, community like in Fox Bay at that time? Because, I, I mean, you must have been quite close. Are you always working together? You, you spent all the t- yeah, your time I, together.
1: It, it was fine. I mean, we had Fox Bay West as well, which was quite an advantage. So Fox Bay itself was quite a large community. The manager in those days was very much the manager who dealt with everything, really. A lot of people, they asked you to look after their money for them all their tax returns and everything were done by the manager. It was quite a big job really.
0: How many sheep did you kind of look after on on Fox Bay when you were manager? When
1: I took over I think it was about 26,000 and I think when the farm was sold it was somewhere around about 33,000. There were an awful lot of the farms were overseas because the original settlers, the original people who set up the farms and set up the companies, Retired and went back to Britain, but basically they were totally running the Falklands.
3: Did you want to go down and have a look at the Shearing Shed? Oh yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. So this is the building that we bought over the mountain before the, the roads, and the piece on the side we've added, you know, later on.
0: Right. I'm at Richard Stevens's farm, Port Sussex, about two hours by car from Stanley, on the west part of East Falkland. Richard bought the farm in the 1990s. Before the war, it was part of the much larger farm of San Carlos. Richard came to work in the Falklands as a travelling teacher in June 1977, after seeing a job advert in the UK. With only one school in the capital, Stanley, children were and are still taught in camp through a mixture of teaching in person on farms from travelling teachers like Richard, and with lessons over the telephone. Richard's many fond memories of his first few years in the Falklands are chronicled in his book Before, During and After the Falklands War. In it he describes his adventures across various settlements, from diving for copper on the shores of the islands to the lively mail only cookhouse at Charters, to delivering mail to houses by throwing it out of the window of a small propeller plane while flying overhead.
3: It was in the newspaper, that bit I but what newspaper I just can't remember now, and I applied for it and I remember they wrote back and that opportunity had had already gone but they said they'd put me on file and like when people say they've put you on file you think that's it you know forget it you know don't call me and I won't call you but uh, about six months later they did anyway a little while later they offered me the job.
0: Coming to the Falklands I mean what were your initial um, reactions? What were the things that really stuck out, stuck out to you as, as being so different from, from the UK?
3: I guess it was like it was stepping back in time. But it was also, because it was so different, it was like living an adventure because of, you know, travelling. There weren't that many vehicles
0: and everybody was so self-sufficient. I think that was another thing that struck me. You know, going from settlement to settlement, that must've been quite you know, quite a challenge to be, to be riding on horseback for long periods of time, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I was sort of fortunate that I, I did know how to ride. But the combination was really riding the Falkland way and also finding your way ab- about. The farm's this way, the house is this way. Take you a couple of hours, probably. I don't know where the track is. It's all right, the horse knows the way. And so off we went and uh, it it took me ages because of course I didn't trot a lot of the time, I sort of walked and you know, for, for the traveller really I found it quite difficult just because it was mentally draining. If you had a small group of children, children would look towards, more towards you for inspiration or new ideas but then in the bigger groups in camp, there'd be a huge range of children.
0: And I mean, yeah, it must have been quite a big mix of abilities and age ranges. And I mean, also growing up here, do you think like the children are a bit more kind of outdoorsy and they don't necessarily want to be in a classroom? That's (laughs) my perception. I don't know if that's... Yeah,
3: yeah, I I think looking at it, because basically as a traveler, the the kids knew that they could stick you for two weeks and then hopefully the, the beaver would get in and you'd go and then it was up to them to to do homework, to sort of keep up. And then if all went well, the weather was good and and the beaver flew, I'd be back within a month and then they'd have to put up with me for another two weeks. For people living on the farms, it was sort of quite hard work because, you know, it's a long day in the summer if you're a shepherd.
2: On the farms in the summer months, we would start at 6 a.m. Work for two hours, have a have a stop for breakfast, work for another hour or so, then we'd have another mid-morning tea break, which was known as smoko, then another hour or so, then we'd have a one-hour lunch break, then another hour or so, and then yeah, we'd finish around four or four thirty in the afternoon. So they were they were long days, particularly in the summer. And as a a young person, there was always you know a variety of things to do and and that, so it was really, we we quite enjoyed the lifestyle. So what kind of things
0: were you doing when you weren't working?
2: Most of the young single guys had a motorbike, so we would, at every opportunity, we'd be off on our bikes, you know. One uh, real advantage was these big farms. No roads, but you could ride pretty much anywhere off-road. We also had some small boats there. We'd go out in boats on days when it wasn't too windy. Then through the winter months, I mean, we had a little sort of a social club there for the community. So we had a bar and uh, one of the old film projectors, we would show our own films and things. So we we, we kept ourselves quite occupied. But we we had a radio telephone service and that that, that was, yeah, I mean, that was pretty reliable.
1: The thing was about communications. We had um, the RT, the radio telephone, which worked from, I think it was half past seven till four o'clock of half past four. After that, it was shut off, we were totally isolated.
2: The one thing we had to do though, if you wanted to, say for example, if I wanted to contact somebody here in Stanley from where we were on West Falkland, we'd have to go to the manager's house and ask to use the radio that was situated in the manager's house. Whereas today, you'd just pull your phone out of your pocket and make a call anywhere in the world, you know. And because we did that so infrequently back then, I remember I really didn't like speaking on the radio, you know, or on the telephone, for that matter.
1: There were social events where everybody used to get in and get together and have dances and such like. Two-nighters, you still hear of two-nighters, but they're very different from the days when people used to turn up on horseback. Is that when people kind of
0: stay for two nights? And they stay for two nights, party yeah. for two days, I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There yeah, wasn't much point in staying for one just one night. So they, they had a full day on the farm. And there was the sports, which uh, was very different from the sports these days. Horse racing, all the shepherds and people had horses and such like so there are an awful lot more horses, dances every night, they used to go on for a week. And so that was that was the break between shearing and then when we had to start dipping all the sheep Again,
2: you, you made other sort of forms of entertainment, you know. People would would play at home or in, in our social club and that. You would also play card games and things like that, you know. You'd invent your own entertainment.
3: The cookhouse could be quite lively because it was the, the young lads and uh, the young shepherds and um, there wasn't any entertainment like um, video or uh TV. <laughs> smartphones
0: nothing so you had to sort of find your own entertainment and uh, it could be
3: a bit wild
0: at times i think the one that stands out for me the of the anecdotes that you say in the book is throwing like live rounds on the fire yeah like, <laughs> yeah i, yeah. I,
3: I mean <laughs> looking back on it you think holy you know how did people not get hurt but uh yeah no i i i, I had, did see that like let's say, a few times. There's no better way to, to clear a room.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it did. <laughs> when it comes to, you know, living out in the West, even now, um, there is always, I think about, you know, what if there's a big medical emergency? And, and what would you do in that situation? What was that like then? Because I know that you had a bit of an accident at one point with a the, with the handsaw. Right? Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, even, even back then, they, they managed generally very well. It was rare for someone to die because of a, some medical emergency. They could generally get, get, get you back to Stanley or get you treatment somehow. You know, there were, there were always a few people around who, who were trained in, in sort of basic first aid and stuff. And Yeah, because I, as you mentioned, I had a few accidents working as a mechanic and quite often it was the manager's wife who, who sort of patched me up.
3: <laughs> I think there was a, a lot of bartering back in the day. Um, so if people were good at mechanicking, perhaps they'd say, look, I'll give you a sack of potatoes if you do this to my Land Rover. There, there wasn't much alternative. You couldn't, like you can today, you couldn't go down to the chandry or to the FIC and get potatoes off the shelf, not not just like that, or, or the fresh fruit or the uh, the variety of vegetables. It just wasn't available.
0: All in all, life hadn't changed dramatically in the Falklands for quite some time, but there did seem to be a charm, perhaps because of the additional freedom and community spirit that those who were there remember. But by the time of the 1970s, the Falklands was experiencing a serious decline. Job prospects outside of sheep farming in the islands were few and far between, and falling wool prices meant that many struggled to make ends meet. By the time of the war in 1982, The population had gone down from about 2,500 to only 1,800. Those who did leave, leaving for the UK, where there were more opportunities. Going into kind of the 70s and maybe early 80s, um, a lot of people kind of started leaving the islands. Population went down. Did you ever think about leaving at that time? I was convinced
1: I was going to stay. I ran the family's dairy farm in England for four years, but I was more my own boss working in the Falklands there was much less interference and such like by the time it came to sell up the farm and I didn't I didn't remain in farming I was committed to the Falklands it's become my life really as manager I was allowed to, to go on leave every three and a half years but I found four weeks in UK was enough for me
0: I was waiting to come home again so Falklands became your home but this is my point. home absolutely
1: yeah. I'm absolutely fixated on the Falcons, and its future and its people and everything else. What kind of convinced you to stay?
0: You know, after you finished that first contract that you did as a teacher. <laughs> I, I
3: I just liked it. It was like, as I say, it was to me, it was an adventure. Here I was, you know, riding people's horses, for nothing, and then you know, like off road, it was was always rather good fun. And um, I, I suppose I just didn't didn't think of that side of it. I, I didn't get to that stage. But yeah, no, a lot of people, the young lads, used to join um, the ships that came in. Some of the young girls used to marry marines. And so there was a, a strong sort of trickle of people leaving the islands. In
0: 1975, the British government commissioned a report examining the Falklands' economic situation. The report was named after the leader of the House of Lords at the time, Sir Edward Shackleton, and was called the Shackleton Report.
1: When Lord Shackleton came down in 78, 79, I can't remember when it was, I can remember talking to them then about the fact that the farms were too big and anyone who thought they were doing a good job managing a farm as big as this were really kidding themselves because... They were just too big and unmanageable. And so you had to have too many staff. They just, they just weren't viable. And that's why I didn't take a, carry on farming myself. This process of, um, of splitting up farms
3: went on or about the 80s and probably finished within 10 years, 11 years. And so people like us would be doing the same kind of thing, you know, all over the, all over the islands.
0: Do you kind of miss life, you know, before 82 or, or living out in camp? Are there aspects of that that you miss? I mean,
1: I, I love living in camp. And if it was possible, I would live in camp. But I always said when the Zimmer frame won't get over the grass box, it's time you move to town. And so I did move beforehand, but now, you know, you have to accept things.
3: You know, there there seemed to everybody seemed to have more time for each other. You didn't need to know what was happening in Coronation Street. You know, Coronation Street wasn't an option. So you sort of like you were more involved with 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 actual community. On Saturdays or Sundays, they'd pop round to see friends for you know a coffee and a cake or a tot and and you know put the world to rights and. You know, you probably, you know, a mate, you probably send a, a WhatsApp to or, or something very modern like that.
2: It's nice to think back to those times, but no, personally, I'm, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to go back and live on a, a farm now and 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 go back to that lifestyle. But I mean, it was it was a good experience at the time, and but I'm 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 happy with the, the my life as it is now, sort of thing. Yeah, and there's many more opportunities. That's that's a, an important thing. There were very limited opportunities back then. It was it was very very limited, very um, restricted. Really, what you could do. I mean, a it was difficult to get to get money to start a business, and there were these you know just a few big companies around that had a, a complete monopoly on lots of services. So, it, it, if you're one individual trying to start a business, you know you couldn't compete with some of the big businesses or companies that existed here.
0: The Shackleton report made some crucial recommendations, which over the coming years changed the Falklands forever. But all progress had to be put on hold on the 2nd of April 1982, when long-standing tensions between the UK, the Falklands and Argentina reached a boiling point.
1: There is mounting evidence that the Argentine armed forces are preparing to invade the Falkland Islands. Government House is now surrounded. Stanley is completely surrounded by armored vehicles and troops. Hundreds and hundreds
2: and maybe even thousands of troops are now in Stanley.
0: Next time on the Falklands Way of Life. The aftermath of the 1982 Falklands War and how the Falklands changed overnight.
2: There were some, some big changes that happened quite rapidly then. The, the speed of development was, was you know, much, much quicker than it had been in my lifetime before that. I
3: mean, the general population had to get used to the whole idea of, of there being different industries and, uh, and, and how to service them. It, it is
0: totally different now. It's made a huge difference, you know, in terms of our business connectivity and our kind of social connectivity to the wider world. It's, it's made us a more, a more multicultural sort of society.